Running the Bases with Small Businesses. I'm Randy Rohde, and I have a passion to work with small businesses, and I love baseball. So I thought, hey, let's bring them together. So every episode, I sit down with local entrepreneurs, business builders, and small business owners to talk about their wins and whiffs, their tools of the trade, and to give actionable tips to other business managers. We'll cover the bases with entrepreneurship, operations, sales, digital marketing, innovation, plus a little fun baseball talk. Thanks for joining us today. Settle in, grab your Cracker Jacks, and you know what they say, play ball! out there he's got to show off a little bit very good hey this is randy Rody, and you are listening to running the bases with small businesses welcome and uh, today our guest is an eagle scout father of four speaks german and by the way he's also the ceo of a 55 year old company with 40 employees Custom Materials Incorporated. Taylor Robinson, welcome. Glad to be here, Randy. Thanks for having me. Yay, you look great. Good to see you. Okay, before we get into custom materials, I have to ask you, do you really speak German? As they say in German, nur ein bisschen. (laughs) And you know what that means? I I do not. (laughs) That means only a little. (laughs) Now, I have studied German for seven years. That was four years in high school. I'm sorry, three years in high school, four years in college. Been to Germany numerous times. All right. But my German, in terms of speaking it, has dwindled. Has dwindled. Well, I I was going to say, and the whole reason why I'm even making an issue about German is because, I mean, you'll see people, you talk to people, they speak different languages, but rarely do you find anybody that speaks German and French as well as one of those kind of rare. So German is like, wow, you really speak German. Huh? Right. Yeah. So why did I choose German? Uh, right. I guess that's the question. Yeah. Well, and to say practice, even who are you going to talk to that speaks German? Because well, you got to practice it. At the time when I did decide on German, I was playing soccer for Sharon Falls. That would have been in the 80s and the 90s. And our head coach, Mario Gerhardt, I got to give credit to him. Uh, he's German, natural German. Uh-huh. And, well, I decided everybody wants to speak French. Everybody wants to speak Spanish. Why not German? <laughs> so uh, that's so, so that's that... how it was written. So I went into German in high school and then uh, decided to pick that up uh, as part of my major when I went off to Hillsdale College. I've been to Germany many times, and of course, recently, it's a little more difficult, but right. I knew I was really understanding the language when I started dreaming in German in college. Oh. Used it quite a bit during my early career, uh, and then you find out that most everybody in the world speaks English quite well. So I don't use German as much as I used to, but one thing I, I can say is, I've been in many meetings where the opposing party, who are German, right. speaking in German, and I'm able to interpret to my associates after the meeting on what they really said 
During the meeting. To hear enough of <laughs> whatever's going on. All right. Well, that's good. So uh, tell us about um, CMI, Custom Materials, Inc. W- what do you do there? W- what's the service? What do you guys manufacture? Because it is a manufacturing kind of a group. Thought about that when you sent me these questions early up front. In a nutshell, custom materials, engineered solutions. That's really the platform of what we thrive to be on. The company started 1964. My grandfather, God bless his soul, now deceased, put his heart and soul into building this business. But over the years, it became more than just making a widget, more than making a, a component. It became what higher value can we provide to the clients? Uh, we are. We're in the business of manufacturing. But it's more than just the widget. It's it's what is the client really trying to solve? And then most of the clients that we deal with, the big ones, are trying to solve problems on an engineering level. And that's where we bring in our, I think, our key, uh, our key traits as a business. When we're able to bring in our resources from experience, uh, not only in engineering, but in our manufacturing processing, to help these clients solve their engineered problems. That's where the benefit really comes into play. Do you work specifically with any, I mean, do you take on any kind of an engineering and manufacturing kind of problem or task or specific kind of materials or what's the, yeah, what's the story? Question. Most of our experience is really in the electrical industry. That's where our roots come from. And what I mean by that is Companies that have been in the transformer or motor world or generator world building those types of products. Uh, And we've gained those experiences and those engineering solutions over the years. And that's really where we still continue to play today. But it's moved, I mean, obviously, with the changing of the way things are uh, based on the the current world events. Um, A lot of the activity we're seeing is, is primarily in certain industries, like our defense industry, that's been... Very, very solid. We certainly don't look for the things that are outside the scope of what CMI can do in terms of its capabilities. And we don't, we don't try to reach for the stars on things that we know are well beyond what we're really capable of doing. And that's really where we shine. I mean, we're able to, to bring in uh, a lot of our different departments where we can provide multiple solutions uh, in terms of processing capability. And where we're also able to leverage our supply chain, who's got very good strengths in their own things that they do, uh, to bring together a full solution for problems that our clients are having. Hmm. That's that's really where the benefit is. And I think that's, in a nutshell, where small businesses need to be looking. You know, uh, one of your questions, I don't want to get ahead on you. <laughs> yeah, don't don't get ahead here. Let, 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 let me kind of go back to this, though. So you, you had an opportunity. So your grandfather started the company years ago. And I'm sure probably as you were growing up, you've probably spent a lot of time as a kid in, in the business doing different things, I'm assuming, right? You probably went and swept oh the God. floors and Absolutely. stacked boxes. I moved storage all the, boxes. I swept the floors. Yeah. I cleaned toilets. I don't right, know what right. else. You did all that stuff. (laughs) But 55 years. So like in today's world, this is amazing, I think. So 55 years. I mean, that in itself is an accomplishment. And so what has been kind of that value proposition? What has it that's kept you in the game all of these years? Has it changed over time? Some of it has. Obviously, some of it has. But I think 
what has really kept CMI as the company it is today is uh, how we view family values. And I'm not talking just about our personal family. I'm talking about our extended family, which would include our employees. And we even say, well, our suppliers and our customers are part of our family. So it's building those relationships on uh, a different level. And we live in a digital world. You hear all of these things out there where everybody wants to go digitally through video, through telephone, through emails, whatever you want to say. But it still comes down to relationship. And maybe I'm a little old school, but when this economy, this world gets back to what the roots are, allowing face-to-face human interaction, that's still very important in today's business. Well, I agree. I think, and I'll be transparent, you're one of our clients and we do a lot of different kinds of things from a digital standpoint, but I completely agree with you. I think the relationship that a business builds, that connectivity with their clients and I mean, you've got a big team there. You have a number of, em, of employees working in the company, but as you extend that relationship out to the employees as well and you build and solidify that, it all benefits the company. And I think if I'm hearing this right, is that that helps sustain you over the course of the long haul, over the number of years versus kind of the short, let me get it while I can. Absolutely. And yeah. particularly right now. Right. I mean, let's be honest, the global pressures from this pandemic have been just insurmountable for all companies, whether it's manufacturing, whether it's restaurants, whether it's healthcare, any industry you're talking about has not been unaffected. Right. The key is to be able to sustain that through, I think, your in-depth, ingrained network relationship you have with your client, your existing client base, and certainly with the ones you're trying to establish. You have to be able to pivot. You know, one of the things you talk about, it, or maybe I'm jumping right. the gun no. on you, but yeah, go ahead. you have to be able to pivot quickly. Small businesses have that luxury. They don't have a huge corporate organization that they have to try to move very quickly. You look at mm-hmm. some of these companies that have struggled, some of these large corporations, not able to, they're not able to move that fast. So they're caught in this pandemic very, very rapidly, and they're not able to sustain it. So, I mean, look at some of these big companies that are going right. bankrupt. You know, those are one of the things that I, that I see as how, how smaller businesses can really survive this, is to be able to pivot fast, be able to sustain through their, their relationships. And that's key for small business. got to have the relationships, and it's not just, it's not just through – associates or employees that work for you. It's it's through top-level management. I'm on the phone with our customers all the time. I'm on the phone with our suppliers all the time. I'm on the emails with them all the time. And that's just numerous techniques to keep in touch and mm-hmm. communication. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's great advice. So you mentioned pivot. How do you know? Let me even take a step back. So I'm sure, you know, what your grandfather did, what your father-in-law uh, did, or your father, I'm sorry, did, and how they operated the business and what they did in the business, meaning what service and or product they were supplying. I'm sure that it has changed over time. How do you know it's time to pivot? Sometimes I like to say, well, 
Randy, it's just a gut instinct. <laughs> and you know what? Uh, as true entrepreneurs who are listening, it is absolutely most of the time a gut instinct that mm. oh, we got to go a different direction. Now, that doesn't go without keeping up with current events or reading information on data, data uh, industry data trends. Right. Uh, marketing information that we get from our great marketing team, 38 Digital. Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> but you have to be able to take all that information in. Uh, you have to have a good management team, which we do. We have also have a governing board of directors, and we meet regularly. And, the, and taking all of that information in, getting some opinions and decisions from all those stakeholders in the game, and then executing on a plan and a strategy on what you're going to do. I mean, mm. What we were doing in uh, 1980 and 1970 when I was just a little kid and grandfather was running the business is clearly different than what we are doing today. Right. You have to be able to make those changes. As a matter of fact, what we're doing today versus when I started in 1996 is very different right. than uh, what we were doing a lot during those early those days in the 1990s. So. Uh, you just have to be able to move. You have to be able to take some calculated risks and make some decisions. Yeah, yeah. And then go forward. So we had a guest on a few episodes ago. He mentions that he expects to pivot about every 18 months. He's just in his industry. It's like, I just expect to change. And it really, I really like this concept and this thought about it. And I've mentioned it a few times actually in other shows, but and I'm wondering like with you and your firm, I guess the question is, do you expect to pivot? And do you also maybe even look for ways to pivot? Absolutely. Uh, actually, I don't know if it's more of an expectation. It's more in my mind, it's more of an anxiety of when, <laughs> right? Like it's a necessity. Yeah, yeah. Oh, right? absolutely. I, I almost get worried. Like uh, uh, when we have a, a period of business activity, and it almost seems like everything's going too good, and you go, "Oh boy, when is it going to happen?" So it's almost a, an expectation, or you're almost lulled into a slumber mm. of, "Uh oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, I shouldn't be getting all cozy here. I need to be." on my toes and ready for something to happen. We may, we got to go make it happen. Right. That's really how, uh, that's kind of how I look at it. But to, to answer your other question, yes, we're always looking for the next thing, something different than what our standard competition base on certain product lines are not doing. And we always want to try to differentiate from, from what they, from what they do to what we want to be able to do and bring to the table. One of the things that, seems to be a constant theme in some of our shows is this concept about pivot. And, and I think it's an, an important message so that as we have small business owners who listen to the show and who provide feedback through reviews and such and comments, you know, they're always talking as well about kind of anxiety a little bit about change and not wanting to fail. And, and I think, Again, with some of our past guests, they's like, listen, failure is going to happen. Don't worry about it. It's, it's it's don't do the same failure twice, but move on. And if you're not feeling, you're not kind of pushing kind of an envelope a little bit to succeed. Absolutely. I almost say if you don't fail, you're not doing it right then. Mm. Now, 
I'm, I'm not going to say, well, we should be failing all the time. We don't want to be failing all the time because <laughs> well, then we won't be in business. Right. You want to get some successes. but, but. Failure is part of the business process. Right. I think part of the mindset of entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs are willing to fail, not, not on all of them, but they're willing to take a risk. They're willing to fail on some of them. Right. And you have to be able to do that. And you have to be able to pivot, like you said, pivot into the next thing that's coming your way. Okay, look, there's not a lot of competitors over here. Why aren't we going after this? And there's more value, more profit, more things to bring to be able to table. That's the stuff we want to do. Right. So you got to be able to take that risk. You got to be willing to accept some of the failures with the successes. To tie it into baseball, even the best baseball players they only get on base, or they I should put it this way, they fail to get on base seven out of ten times. Absolutely. Your right? beloved Cubs, how many times did they lose? And then finally, finally. after failing yes. all those years. Yes, thank you. Thank you, because that was a great year. And they're on their way again this year in this odd season. All right, so pandemic. I mean, you've mentioned it a few times. Obviously, it weighs on every small business in the world right now. And it has been incredibly challenging for most business. How about yours? How have you guys kind of looked at the current situation and what kind of well, steps have you done to mitigate and move on? Well, lucky, lucky for us, we have this large workspace, 50,000 square feet. We only have uh, roughly 40 employees under one roof. So there's plenty of space to social distance per se. And so, yes, we took all the appropriate measures, just like were submitted by the Ohio guidelines and the CDC, protect and make sure that all of our employees were felt safe and comfortable in the work environment. We did not have the luxury of closing the business because of a lot of the defense and military things that we do to support our government. We had to maintain operations, make sure that those programs were going forward. In a sense, it was like, well, geez, you know, here this thing's crashing down around the country. A lot of, you know, a lot of the entire fabric of our society was shutting down. Mm. Uh, it almost felt like, well, gosh, we haven't really seen us a lot down. But it's not like we haven't had our challenges. And we had employees uh, who were definitely fearful of the situations. And uh, so we lost a few employees. And uh, the ones that were dedicated, who've been with us for a long time, they never missed a beat. They kept mm. coming in and doing their duty. So we're very thankful for what they did. Uh, you know, right now, we continue to operate the status quo. We've got a lot of customers that still rely on us and who entrust us with their business, and we thank them very much. And so we're very fortunate in where we are right now. Yeah, good to hear it. All right, so, Taylor, you know what time it is? And it's time for the seventh inning stretch. Okay. Don't sing Take Me Out with a Ball. No, I'm not going to have you sing. Don't worry. Uh, it is time for the seventh inning stretch. This is the time during the show. I'm going to ask you uh, some fun baseball questions just to kind of take a little different direction here, do a different turn of the base, if you would. Uh, so the research team kind of pulled together, being that you're in um, some manufacturing and stuff. I thought I would ask you some questions around the making of baseballs. I want to, we'll just test your knowledge here around manufacturing a baseball. So baseball. How a baseball is made. Well, kind of how or what, what it's made of. So you may know baseballs right now are kind of made of uh, leather, right? Cowhide leather. Uh, that would be the outer core. Yes. Outer do, you, do you have an idea of when the cowhide leather ball was adopted by Ooh, good question. Major League Baseball? 1920s? 
actually, you would think that it would be uh, baseball. I, what is this? The hundred and ninth or hundred and tenth year well, of baseball, I, something like I that. I attribute everything to the Indians' last World Series win in the nineteen forties. So okay. <laughs> Actually, you would think that it would be like, well, a hundred years ago or something. Actually, not until 1974. I'll be darned. Yeah, yeah, the, the, the leather ball. You know the size and weight of the ball. How about the circumference? I'll, I'll even tell you, you it's the, in inches. You mean the diameter? Circumference. Circumference. Yes. Sir- uh, I'm going to say five inches, six inches in circumference. Uh, nine to nine oh my gosh, and a wait. quarter oh, inches. Okay, okay. That's wow. that's the the regulation. How about weight? Five, yeah. How about weight? Oh, weight. Oh, it's got to be less than a pound, half a pound, maybe. Uh, five to five and a quarter ounces. Ounces. There you go. There you go. All right. You know that you got that fun little red stitching around the baseball. Yeah. There are a hundred and eight stitches in a baseball. Wow. Okay. So if you took all of that fun little red waxy string and just laid it all out on the floor and measured it. How long do you think that is? 5,280 feet. (laughs) (laughs) It is not a mile. 88 inches. 88 inches. Wow. Which just seems like a lot when you're thinking like a a baseball. That's eight feet. Just shy of eight feet. Yeah. How about that? I'll be darned. Yeah. So there you go. All right. So thanks for playing seventh inning stretch with us. Let's get back into it. Play ball. Over the years, I'm sure that your company uh, has had many challenges. I mean, you guys have 55 years. You've gone through a lot of cycles of recessions and all different kinds of things. What have been some of those challenges? How have you guys tackled them? How did you approach those challenges? The most recent one was we had a a very difficult quality situation that we had to deal with. Every company, if you're in manufacturing, is not immune to a quality problem. I'm sorry if you're a manufacturer, right. everybody is in it. Right. So we had one of ours, you know, we had it pop up, and it was a difficult, very difficult situation. And it was with one of our key customers we've, we've been doing business with for well over 35, 40 years. Mm. It was at a very critical time when we were also going through a total requalification of our ISO program, which is the International Standards Organization for a quality, a documented and processed quality system. So that was going through a major revision, and we were were just in the throes of uh, upgrading the entire company to the new standard. And we were hit with this quality problem, and boy, I'll tell you, that absolutely taxed the entire company on that. I, I give our team a lot, a lot of credit. We we brought in pretty much everybody that was uh, a contributor into the uh, into this meet into these. We had weekly meetings mm. to to respond and document and thoroughly go through how we were going to correct uh, not only the the situation but how we were going to prevent it from any future occurrences. And that's, a, that's key when you're talking about quality systems. That really brought in all the experience from multiple departments of our company. Uh, and this thing went on for, geez, quite a, I'm going to say a couple months wow. until we finally, we were finally able to put it to bed with uh, the client and the supplier. And it, honestly, even the supplier and the customer in the situation where this was affected Mm. Uh, also went through a, uh, ma- a major 
quality review of their own system. And, you know, at the end of the day, because I thought, boy, this is, this is going to be a, a reputation hit for, for the company. But honestly, we turned a, a negative, a very negative potential situation into a very positive situation. Great. And the customer who we've been, like I said, it's been a very loyal customer, 35, 40-year customer, actually used our documented response and the, and the technique by which we went through to, to correct the situation as a model for not only themselves, but even the rest of their supply chain. And even, we're talking a Fortune 500 company. It's a huge mm-hmm. company. So it made me uh, realize that, it, well, you can't do all of it yourself, number one. I can't be right. the, the guy that handles everything for the business. you got to have key people, key managers that you can draw from to help you resolve things like this that come up. You talk about, you know, again, I think, you're a, a long-rooted company, uh, many, many, many years in existence. You have clients that are nearly 35 years to have a client, the same client, customer. I, that's a long time to hold on to that, which I would say kind of is attributable to the relationship that you guys bring and build over those years. But also, you know, you you began to touch on some stuff, and I'm wondering if you can kind of expand on that. But the learning moments within that particular situation. Oh yes, what we learned is even a bulletproof system that you supposedly go through and document and put all these controls and things into place doesn't necessarily mean that it is foolproof. <laughs> so, so what do we learn? What do we learn is that in business is. And in particularly in manufacturing, you have to be diligent and you have to be constantly looking to improve yourself and your company and the people that work for you every day. It is a consistent, it takes perseverance. You cannot, you cannot think that you're going to stop and just smell the roses all the time. I'm saying you shouldn't do that when you have the chance to, but. You have to continue to be diligent. You have to be consistent. You have to have regular meetings. We do that all the time. And you have to communicate and and constantly look to improve what you do. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so, so you've got, let me kind of talk about a little bit around your team and you and as a boss. So you've got 40 people on your team or so. How do you manage a team of that size? Daily communication. You know, we've certainly used uh, all of the tools that are available today. Uh, back back when I started in the 90s, it was a lot of written memos, a lot of fax similes, a lot of dial phone calls, snail mail, a postage mail, right? Now it's emails, now it's cell phones, text messages. We use all those tools. We still find it very important that you have to have regular meetings with your staff, whether it's just with the workers or whether it's with the management team. And we do those, we do those quite a bit. We, uh, we do a lot of uh, what I like to say hall, uh, stand-up hall meetings where a couple of people are uh, in the hallway trying to figure something out. Right. Uh, we, we still do that today. But it takes, uh, it takes a diligence. you got to have consistency. Uh, so we do production meetings every week. We do management meetings uh, at least once a month. 
Uh, we have uh, board meetings. We do have a working board of directors. We have that at least three times a two to three times a year. So it's, uh, it's constant diligence. We we uh, we release an internal monthly newsletter to make sure mm. we're communicating with people. So whatever tools we can grasp at, uh, right. we try to take advantage of those. Make sure we're communicating with our wow. with our people. So. What I hear is kind of a constant through, which is very intentional and communication is a significant kind of piece. Then has to just be. Has yeah, to be. always staying in always touch. Always has to. Be. Yeah, always have to have it. Yeah, yeah. You know, in the small business world, if you if you're not doing that and you're you're thinking you're going to be able to uh, kind of hide out and uh, ignore trying to do that, you're you're going to be in trouble. You've mm-hmm. got you've got too many competing external pressures to be able to think that you're going to have that luxury. You can't, you can't do that in a small business. You got to be able to, uh, to move quickly, pivot, right. That word pivot again. Right. Yeah. Uh, you've got to be able to communicate with your team and, and make decisions and then to execute them. And that's what you got to be able to do. Right. So you are the boss. You are El Jefe. You, I am the guy. I, I don't know what it is in German. Uh, what, what, what is it in German? What oh, jeez. You didn't uh, need to ask me that question. <laughs> uh, All right. I don't know. But you're the guy, though. You're the one people are like, you know, Taylor, tell us, right? Where do you get your support? How do you stay focused and, and feel like you're not the lone man at the top of the <laughs> yeah, pyramid? Because right? you do feel lonely yeah. quite a bit. No, I know. Uh, it's, it's a common well, thing. Well, you actually. run your own business, Randy. Yes, you know how it is. I know. I got to give all the credit to where it's due. 23 years of marriage, Randy. Ah, there you go. 23 years of marriage. My wife has been one of my loudest and most ardent supporters. I couldn't couldn't be luckier. Good. And I also got a good four lovely children who have been by my side. I cannot disregard all of the, the managers that we have and the and the loyal employees who have put in their own hard efforts to make sure that this company and this organization continues to do what it does best. So let's talk a little bit about strategy and what you guys are doing today to plan for, you know, the next 55 years. I I, I won't ask you where do you see the company in 55 years from now, but how about in the next, you know, three to five years? Where do yeah. you kind of see I the company? I looked at that question a couple of days ago and I, I thought, well, you know, I don't know if I have an answer to that one right now. And don't get me wrong, we do plan for that. We do plan. We, right. You know, we write down strategies and plans on things that we want to try to do in the next three to five years. But honestly, today, as we sit here today with the current global issues and the current economy, it's not three to five years. It's right. what are we going to do in a year? Right. That, to me, is the key. And right now, we are very, very fortunate that our defense and our military relies on our company for a lot of support. And that's, that's been a shining star in uh, this whole thing that, we, that we've been facing in this country, is that, is that our military and our defense systems need that small business support right now. And they've, they've been able to keep the small businesses going. So we've been very, very lucky in that regard that we've, we've had those affordabilities Mm. Uh, because the commercial uh, activity in the in the industry sector right now is very very challenging, very challenging. Whether you're a bigger company, a medium sized company, or a small company, if you have a lot of focus in uh, aerospace, as we know, and automotive, those industry sectors have been very very challenged 
uh, because of uh, the things that have been happening to those industries in terms of what this pandemic has done. I think you touch on a lot of different aspects of where we are today, but I would say I don't think that you're probably much different than other companies and businesses that are out there that kind of had a game plan. Hey, this is what we're going to do in the next two years and we'll do this and we're moving toward this. And then all of a sudden who would have thought that come, you know, March that we were quarantined and we're dealing with a worldwide pandemic and, you know, life changes instantly. Just like that. 99% hit rate back on a survey that what's your five-year plan and then and has it changed? And a lot of them would say, absolutely, I've gone to a one-year plan. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I'm not sure that we're thinking five years here. But I, I do think, and I want to underline, and you mentioned this as well, it's like, but it hasn't stopped you thinking about well, what, that's what's around the corner. Absolutely. So, I mean, we will. At some point, this country will come out of this. Yeah. Well, the world, the country, they, absolutely. They will, they will yeah. come out of this. And so, well, you know, what is it going to be on the other side? Well, it's going to be a lot different for sure. You have to have that in mind. You have to think, okay. And this this goes back to when do you know when you're going right. to be making that pivotal move? Well, right. Well, as we know right now, it's well, we got to just get through calendar year. I mean, that's number one. Everybody's Everybody's been kind of thinking that. But what? It, it will come out. We will all come out of this at some point. I have faith in our administration and what they're going to do to help keep supporting businesses so they can get through this financially. And so what will it be on the other side? If you're in the restaurant industry, that's that's huge challenge for the people in the yeah. restaurant industry. I have a lot of compassion for those people right now because uh, those business, those small businesses are suffering tremendously. And so, you know, they're thinking, well, geez, I... What am I going to do if, if I, my restaurant makes it through this? Maybe they're thinking a career change. I don't know. Eventually, we will come out of this, right? So mm. what is it going to be on the other side? It's certainly going to be a lot different. It's not going to be like it was in 19, or sorry, 2019. Right. Uh, you, you, you have to have the plan for the next phase, and that's their two- to three-year plan. But right now, it's plan to plan for year number one and right, get right. through year number one. Right. Good. Well, and again, I think the message though, uh, to get across is that you still have to plan today is going to change what tomorrow will be. And as a business and you want to survive, you're like, all right, these are the steps we're going to do to keep pushing on. That's, That's right. right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So we're coming in here to the bottom of the ninth. What advice do you have for rookies? I mean, you are an old grizzled veteran, yeah. right? I mean, you have put oh, years on. I, on the bus. I like to think I'm still the young guy out there. He's <laughs> got a lot of fight left. Yeah, uh, there you I'll go. That's you good. Some, That's good. Uh, and you, you're you not, you're a businessman. Yeah. You're an entrepreneur. Yeah. You, you, you wake up some days and you're like, oh my goodness, yeah. I got to do this battle one more time. And then you go, oh, wait a minute, I got a lot of people. I got a lot of people counting on me. Well, right. in your case, you yeah. got your family. That's, yeah. that's important. So you know, I thought about this question. I was looking at this the other day. I'm like, you know, what's my advice? Well, <laughs> right now, yeah, my the, advice, the advice right for now the rookies. you have to have faith. You have to have faith. I, I am a, a practicing Catholic. Our family is practicing Catholics. And you have to have a deep-rooted faith because if you don't have that, then you know, you're, you're missing some sort of higher guiding light, in my opinion. You, you, you've got to have something that's it's bigger than you, bigger than your family, and uh, deep-rooted faith, I think, is very important. You also have to have your family. 
mm. and the, the love of your family. Uh, we try to. Um, it's been challenging for the pandemic during the pandemic. Uh, uh, I've been fortunate, or my, I should say, my youngest daughter has been fortunate. We had a late in life daughter, five years old now. We always said, "Oh, geez, you know, all the kids are going to be gone by the time she's." Uh, getting in her teenage years, so it'll be a different type of family right. dynamic. A sort of uh, blessing in disguise is actually all of our family members have been able to be home. <laughs> so she has had the the benefit of actually having her entire family, you know, where her oldest sibling is now t- going on 23, to be around. So she has the sense of Right. Of having the family, and, that, and that's very important. You have to have your faith. You have to have your family uh, to bring that together, and that yeah. that helps give you uh, pillars to lean on when you're uh, moving into your own entrepreneurship venture. And finally, and I always say things I, I always say are, are important to talk about are threes. The third thing I would say for anybody uh, who's in this entrepreneur business, any entrepreneurial business. You have to have perseverance every day. You've got to get up. You've got to be persevering towards accomplishing the next task. As difficult as it might be. Some days are easier. Some days are harder. You've got to be able to go after it every day. Those three things, at the end of the day, I think you'll make it. Good. I love that. I love all three of them, actually. They're great. And I will make a quick comment about the thing on the family. And as you mentioned about kind of this time, you know, that we're dealing with and being quarantined or isolated somewhat. My wife and I were talking about this, uh, I don't know, a few weeks ago. At least a benefit, it seems like, is that the kids have been home. I mean, we've had to be home and we've had to do more things together as a family unit than we have kids that are in similar ages that, you know, they're off doing their thing. I may see my son like for a half an hour during the day. He's gone and he's got his friends. But the pandemic and everything that's done, it's allowed us to really unify as a family unit. Absolutely. Um, and it's been, I look at it as like, well, this has just been a real kind of blessing as well, I think. So, but I'm ready for, let them to go explore and get back out as well. Well, listen, Taylor, let me ask you, is there anything that I didn't ask you that you wanted to get across? I don't think so. Okay, good. <laughs> All right. Well, listen, thanks for being on the show today. I really appreciate it. It's been great having you and been great having you as a client all these years. And, and hopefully we'll extend, we'll, we'll be that 55-year uh, company. We can only hope. We can only hope. <laughs> exactly. All right. And for those of you listening, hey, thanks for joining us today. And if you like our show, please tell your friends, uh, subscribe and review And as we say, we'll see you around the ballpark. Running the Bases with Small Businesses is brought to you by 38 Digital Market, a digital marketing agency committed to client growth with lead generation, higher conversions, and increased sales. Connect with us today at 38digitalmarket.com.